Hey there, welcome back to the Speak Your Peace podcast. My name is Ian McNaughton, Big E here with you. Uh, thank you for joining me. I'm all by myself for this episode because other people are busy. Uh, a lot of my friends are doing exams. I didn't have time to book a guest for the rest of the week. So I have just this podcast with myself. I, I might do another one later this week. We'll see though how... Uh, how ambitious I am. I know for sure we have one podcast next week and it's going to be a really good one and you're going to like it. Uh, a fan favorite podcast. And then we might do another one depending on the schedule. So at least one podcast for sure next week, if not two. Also working out the holiday schedule where we're going to be doing some live streams, some more podcasts, more content. So it's going to be good. Good stuff on the way. Uh, so today's a mailbag question. I'm going to do a bit of an intro, a bit of a riff at the beginning. And then I'm going to answer some of people's questions later on. Uh, thank you very much to everybody who sent in a question. It's greatly appreciated. I know I did one last week where I talked about the Canucks and who's to blame for their mess. And then stuff happened. So, you know, I might say that I'm the reason why the Canucks made moves, not the actual Canucks or the players or Aquilina or anybody. It's because Ian did a podcast on them. So... That means that teams have to do stuff. So maybe, maybe if I talk about Ottawa, which I'm not planning on, maybe if I talk about Ottawa, the Senators will do something here. Um, I want to first discuss about officiating and refs in the NHL. It's been a topic of conversation for a, for a while now, but at least through the most of this season, through the start of this season, where people are talking about players drawing penalties, uh, officiating, uh, critiques. Are we calling enough? Should we be calling more? What do we call, et cetera, et cetera. So what I want to start with here is back in like the seventies and the eighties when the NHL was growing, but it's, you know, it was on the same level as baseball or the NFL or the, you know, the NBA was kind of slowly, you know, progressing its way as well, like the NHL, but you know, back in the 70s and 80s, the NHL was more rinky-dink, shall I say. You know, there was no official jersey manufacturer of the NHL in the 70s, 80s, even, even 90s, really. You know, there was no national TV contract in the U.S. So Gretzky and Lemieux and all those guys didn't have a national spotlight on them in the U.S., at least, you know, on... Um, not cable, what's the other, well, cable and, um, you know, just basic TV. They, they didn't have that deal in the U.S. Throughout the, throughout the 80s. And, you know, there were a few arena sponsors back then. Like, you know, there, there used to be Northland Gardens in Edmonton, Rogers, or not Rogers, now it's Rogers, but Pacific Coliseum in Vancouver. You know, it used to be the, the Forum in L.A. And now that's all changed. And this included, I, I feel like, refs. Not to say that refs were rinky-dink, but how they officiated a game was, was different back then. You know, the refs back in the day were mostly there as bodyguards to, you know, prevent, you know, a serious, a serious melee or brawl, And even though we still got a bunch of that. Um, you know, that, that's kind of where the refs were utilized in terms of just you know preventing things from you know getting too serious or breaking out they would make calls but 
it's not like it is right now. And, you know, Cyclone Taylor, the great Cyclone Taylor, who was one of the first hockey stars back in the early 1900s. Cyclone Taylor talked about how the players would get pregame talks from refs explaining how the game would go. Or if so-and-so, if you, number 28, if you're going to be a pain in the ass again, you're going to get an early call. And, and he mentioned about how he talked about this in his biography, which is a great read, by the way. I'd highly suggest go taking it, take a look. He, he talked about how this created a bond and a mutual respect between players and refs. It's that you got to know this person, you got to meet this person, you got to see this person, and this person was an authority figure. And you had a respect for this authority figure because they were also doing a job. They were getting paid. They were a referee. So, and, and as time went on, they just got rid of that. They, they don't have those pregame meetings anymore with refs and players, you know, understanding how the game's going to go, even at a lower level. I never had a ref come into our dressing room before our game, um, purely because we just didn't do that. We didn't, we, we weren't, you know, we weren't friends with the refs. We didn't know the refs. It, it's kind of a, you know, taboo thing to have a ref going into a team's locker room pregame. But now since Bettman has taken over the NHL, now since Bettman has been commissioner of the NHL, you know, the league has become this billion-dollar business. Like now Adidas is the official jersey manufacturer of the NHL. The NHL is on ESPN, ABC, TNT. They have national channels, a national US TV contract deal. You know, almost every arena in the NHL is sponsored. I mentioned how, you know, it used to be Pacific Coliseum. Now it's Rogers Arena. Used to be Northland Gardens in Edmonton. Now it's Rogers Place. Used to be the, you know, Great Forum in LA. Now it's, well, was Staples Center. Now it's going to be Crypto.com Arena. Like, the, the league has become such a business now and has become so, you know, financially dependent. Like they, they, they like, they're now a billion dollar industry. That's what the NHL is, the, the, purely from increased revenues. And a lot of the stuff, while the league is still not as successful or as popular as it should be or as it could be, it hasn't really changed officiating that much. You know, think of, think of the major changes that have happened to referees over the last 20, 30, 40 years. They now wear helmets. They have official uniforms. They get the first class flights. They're, they're flying with teams in some occasions, most occasions. So and in terms of how an official calls a game, it's tighter, but it's still this, you got to let them play. You got to let them, you know, boys will be boys. Guys will be guys going after one another. And there's not this kind of respect or attitude for treating officials like a billion or refereeing or linesmen, there's not the attitude of treating that like a billion dollar business, like everything else has in the NHL. And it, it's noticeable. It's noticeable when it comes to playoffs. It was noticeable Sunday when the Leafs played the Jets. It's been noticeable in other games this year and other missed calls. So 
I, I don't like what, I, what I'm saying here is that while the league has progressed and it's still far away from where it should be from being successful and to be, you know, truly a, a top tier sport, a top tier league, I should say. Hockey's the best sport, NHL is the worst league. And, and while they have made progressions in some areas, that hasn't come in officiating. You know, the, the, the training of officiating, I, I think it is declining. I, I, I feel like the respect towards officials is reclining, declining because of the fact that the NHL has not taken it as seriously. You have to remember, these officials are people too. And when you live life, when you do various different things, you're going to meet various different kinds of people. Not everybody is the same. Not everybody's going to have the same opinion or the same feeling as you do on a certain subject. However, that doesn't mean you have to hate a referee. It doesn't mean you have to dislike the referee. You can dislike what he's doing, but he's still an official. He's still a referee. So on one end, I am defending officials a little bit because it's not an easy job. It's one of the hardest jobs to do. And you get no love for it. You get no appreciation for it because you're an official. You're not, you know, you're not for team A and you're not for team B. You're team C. You're another team. No one likes you already off the jump because you're not part of one team. And the NHL has failed to progress to put officiating in the same class as everything else in terms of being a billion dollar business. And that's why we're having problems with penalties. That's why we're having problems with, um, you know, players not respecting rules, uh, players not respecting officials. I, I, I think, you know, having something like when Cyclone Taylor talked about having a meet, having the referee come into your locker room before the game, that's a small step. That's a very small step in terms of creating a more successful, sustainable, sustainable officiating plan. Because there is no officiating plan. There is nothing. It is just making it up as you go. It's it's literally like me writing some essay on something that I have no idea. Where I'm just bullshitting halfway through the article or halfway through the paper because. I know I need to put words in. I just don't know what any of it, you know, means or what they actually want. It's just me not paying attention. That's kind of what the NHL officiating is, just them not really paying attention and them just like kind of throwing in like a paragraph or two in the middle of the paper because "Ah, that sounds right. Like that's kind of where we're at. So once the NHL starts treating officials and referees like a billion dollar business, then they'll get more respect. Then the league will get more respect. But in the meantime, because everything else has progressed, while officials haven't, because the NHL probably doesn't respect the officials as much as, you know, they do making money. Because the officials don't make the money. The officials don't generate revenue for the NHL. They're an expense. They cost money. You have to pay officials to ref these games. That's, that's I think, where the NHL is seeing this. But, hey, you know. We'll see if the NHL actually does something. I hope they do something sooner rather than later, but who knows for sure. So there you go. That's what I wanted to start. Um, but let's go into some people's questions. So as of recording, as of starting recording, 
There's six questions from people. Thank you, everybody who sent in a question. First, uh, SYP creator Scott, who couldn't make it, I think he's writing a 12-page paper as I'm doing this, which that seems like a lot, but hopefully it's on something he's interested in. Um, probably selling knives to, you know, all the UBCO students. It's a 12-page marketing plan is what that is. Uh, Scott asks, who's actually winning the Calder, uh, Trevor Zegers or Lucas Raymond? Now, I'm recording this after Zegers had his beautiful assist uh, tonight against the Sabres. He rocks. There's no doubt about that. Scott and I are going to go see uh, Zegers and the Ducks in person December 23rd when they come to Vancouver. So that's going to be really cool. Um, so right now, my top five, my top five for Calder trophy voting this year. If I had to vote, my top five would be number five, Michael Bunting with the Toronto Maple Leafs. I, he's had a really good season. Uh, number four, Dawson Mercer with the Devils. Moritz Sider to number three with the Red Wings. Uh, Sider left uh, tonight's game early uh, against the Nashville Predators. Uh, number two is Trevor Zegers, and number one is Lucas Raymond. I should have done this. Anyways, uh, for those who are watching on YouTube, I did something wrong. Um, Listen, I think Raymond is the top, uh, is at the top of the Calder voting right now. I think he would win if the season ended today. Raymond wins the Calder if he has 80 points and or makes the playoffs or and or leads the Red Wings in scoring. I think if he does one of those things, he's probably going to be the Calder winner. If he does all three of those things, he's definitely going to be the Calder winner. Zegers wins if he leads the Ducks to the playoffs or he has 80 points. I don't think if he's the leading scorer of the Ducks, they, uh, they give it to him. But, I mean, I think if Zegers can get Anaheim back into the playoffs, yeah, he's probably going to win the Calder because who thought that, um, you know, the Anaheim Ducks would make the playoffs after all that's gone on? Um, I mean, same with the Red Wings. But I feel like the Red Wings made more moves in the offseason that you can – see how they would get to the playoffs where I don't think you saw that with Anaheim. Um, but no, I, I think Raymond, uh, before tonight, he had 22 points in 25 games, 17.2 shooting percentage. That's really high. That's going to come down here at some point, probably over the next six weeks. I'm guessing that shooting percentage is just a bit unrealistic. So that shooting percentage is going to have to come down. Um, Zegers has a 9.4 shooting percentage. 21 points in 24 games. Um, Zegers and Raymond, I, I get a feeling they're probably going to be close to like the 60, 70 point range. If either one of them gets to 80 points or makes the playoffs, that's the guy who will win the Calder. So right now I'm going to say Raymond. And I, I'm going to say probably Raymond wins it too. Cider and Mer Cider, Mercer and Bunting, maybe. The problem with with Raymond and Cider is that they could split votes, and that's what put that's what puts Zegers over the edge. It could happen. I'm not sure. Mercer needs to step it up. He's like a tier below uh, the top two. Same with Bunting. There, Bunting and Mercer are kind of in the same realm, I would think. Um, so that's who I think is actually winning the Calder right now and in the future. Uh, Scott also asked, who's the next GM in Vancouver for the Canucks? The hotter the take, the better. So, Scott, and for all the Canucks fans listening, uh, I took a bunch of notes before this podcast, and I have 
um, 15 different names you can see here. Um, I also put down if they would be on the, you know, neutral, evil, good um, scale. I, I wrote that down for all the candidates. Um, my top five GMs, I was Aquilini, I had to hire a GM. My top five would be the Sedin brothers. I'm counting them as one. They both are like co-GMs because you can't have one without the other. That's kind of a dick move if you make like Henrik the GM and then Daniel the assistant GM, I feel like. I feel like they both have to be co-GMs. Um, Jim Rutherford, because I think this team is good enough to win now. I think the core is good enough to win now. At least the forward group, you got to fix defense and Rutherford could probably do that in three years to go make a cup contender. You have the goaltending. You just need to fix defense. That's it. That's that's all you, you're... If you can fix the defense with this team, you're fine. I feel like Rutherford can do that. He can make some trades. He can get rid of OEL, Tucker Pullman, get those shitty contracts in, bring in some more preferable, decent contracts. Uh, number three, I have Cami Granado, who is currently a scout for the Seattle Kraken. Uh, she has plenty of hockey, hockey experience, as you know. Uh, plenty of hockey experience with USA Hockey. This is her first season with the Kraken being a scout. So... I think she could be an NHL GM at, I mean, any day now, really. Um, it's just a matter of who's going to be the team that gives her that opportunity. I don't know that the, the Kraken would be wanting her to go to the Canucks. I don't, I, I, that's a, I don't know if that's going to happen, like in terms of like the rivalry, but I think it'd be really cool if the Canucks made Cami Granado uh, the first female GM in the NHL. Uh, Scott Mellonby is my fourth option just because I think Scott Mellonby is a decent guy and I think he is good enough to be a GM. Um, that's just my opinion. I mean, it didn't really end as well as you thought it would in Montreal, but he's, he's Scott Mellonby. He's a name. Um, he, he's probably deserving of a GM job as well at some point. And then the fifth guy I have is Chris McFarland and he's the AGM. In Colorado. That's who I would look at as like my fifth option. It's like if he would be interested in joining the Canucks because surely he knows how to like get defensemen, really good defensemen, considering they have Kale McCarr, Bowen Byram, uh, Ryan Graves, a bunch of guys. There's enough guys in Colorado that they can find perfectly capable demon. Um, although I think they're going with the Jack Johnson, somebody else who's not good pairing. I want to see if I can find that here. Um, I, I feel like McFarlane could make Vancouver good enough because really you have the forwards. You just need the defense. You just need the, the consistent D pair. Uh, yeah, Jack Johnson and uh, and Curtis McDermott. Uh, Ryan Graves was on the team, but now it's Samuel Girard, so I'm thinking of. And he traded for Devon, like helped trade for Devon Tate. Yeah, this team's. Pretty not bad defensively. Uh, if you can get somebody like McFarland to help be the GM, get some good D man, I think that would solve it. Uh, most likely candidate for the job. This is who I think is actually in run in the line in running for the job. Uh, the Sedin twins, uh, Jim Rutherford, Mark Bergevan, because why not? Uh, John Chaka, because why not? And Scott Mellonby. I think those are uh, who are likely getting, those are likely the candidates. Although I've heard uh, Mike Gillis is getting some love for some reason. Mike Gillis is like on the chaotic neutral for me. Like I think 
sure okay i guess um we kind of know where this is going and i mean unless thatcher demko is the next coming of roberto luongo and Petey and Besser are the next coming of Hank and Daniel. Sure. Like, I think part of it was like Gillis got not lucky, but like they had some franchise corner pieces that I don't know are quite there on Vancouver. Like, I think they have good players. I don't know if they're like the Sedin twins and the Wongo good. Um, Mark Bergerman, of course, because this is the NHL. We just uh, recycle everybody. Um, you know, same white guy over and over again gets to be coach of GM. Um, and John Chaka, you know, analytical darling, apparently. Sure, we just recycling the same guys. Just because it didn't work in Arizona doesn't mean it couldn't work in Vancouver, right? I mean, look at all the great guys that, you know, Arizona had, like Christian Fisher. I actually don't mind Fisher. I've said that before. I don't mind him, but like, he's not as hyped as I thought he was going to be not as good as I thought it was going to be Clayton Keller um Christian Dvorak OEL Jacob Chickman's actually good but still my point is is that we're just recycling the same guys all over the place and you know god forbid anybody of any sort of uh diversity or something new uh comes up but uh maybe that's Scott Mellonby maybe Scott could take the Canucks GM jobs Scott Mellonby, Scott Conkin, all those guys could uh, could have the job. Who says no? Um, okay, that's my thoughts on the Canucks GM job. Um, Gabe Krizanowski, SYP creator Gabe. Gabe asked, uh, Ryan McLeod, this isn't really a question, I guess. Ryan McLeod should get a chance on a line with McDavid and Dreisaitl. To which I say, Sure. Why ha- Why not put all your top three centers on one line? Face-offs are overrated. Um, I'm trying to think of how that would go. So you'd have McDavid as your center and then Dreisaitl as your left wing and McLeod as your right wing. And then you have uh, Zach Hyman, Kyler Yamamoto, would you put Warren Fogel in their second line center? Nah. This, listen, I get, I get what you're trying to do there, Gabe, but like, I don't think it would work. You have a uh, oh, could uh, Nugent Hopkins play center? You have a a, a, a Hyman Nuge Yamamoto second line. How about that? And then you have a third line of uh, Warren Fogel, Cassie, and Pugliarvi. There you go. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. I Sure, maybe get Ryan McLeod. I haven't seen McLeod this year. I have no idea. I think he has three goals this year. I, 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 I basically stopped watching McLeod after junior. But maybe he's good. Maybe he will be good. Um, I, Sportsnet, I think, earlier today did a piece of like, yeah, McDavid and Drysaddle are good, but they need more help from the depths of like the depth forwards and like the defense. And it's just like you could write this article about the Oilers every year for the last 15 years, like since they went to the Stanley Cup finals, you could write this article. Even then, you probably could have wrote that article because it was just Chris Pronger dragging the 
Oiler, the depths of the Oilers from nowhere to the Stanley Cup, to game seven of the Stanley Cup finals. So, you know, as much as you want to create an OP line, Gabe, uh, I feel like that's um, kind of goes against what the Oilers should be doing. How about that Zach Hyman, though? That Zach Hyman's cool. Um, he rocks. All right. Uh, my brother Neil, Neil McCon. He asked, how do you justify your carbon footprint? Um, we're all going to die. We're all going to die. None of this matters. None of what I do matters. Um, from a, I think both a literal and a figurative. I mean, and from a figurative sense, yeah, what I do matters because, uh, you know, figuratively, this is going to help me, uh, you know, become something i like to think but in, in reality it doesn't it, none of it matters we're all gonna die uh you know big corporations have ruined the world ruined the world for the rest of us um I, my favorite thing is when i think it was over the summer when uh prince harry was just like i think this is because there was like a g8 summit meeting or something in england and prince Harry, no prince william whatever one of those guys uh prince william i'll say uh, was like, yeah, you know, the, you know, we, people need to do more, like the general public need to do, needs to do more to stop, you know, climate change and greenhouse gases or whatever, whatever, and, or CO2 into the atmosphere. And it's just like, dude, you can talk to the people who are being the biggest contributors of this. Um, not saying that me and my car, my car and I aren't contributing something. And I guess something is something. It's not nothing. It is something. But the major, you know, contributors don't really care what I have to say or what I do. Um, and, you know, I need my car to go places. I need to drive to go to work. Um, and until they make, you know, mass transit more reliable, this is my best option. Uh, I don't know how to stop. I don't know how to stop that cycle, I guess, from my own personal uh, experience. I don't know how to stop the cycle. Of, like I need, if, if I had the access to uh, proper public transportation, I would do that. Um, if there was a better mass transit throughout, you know, the Northwest, I would totally use it, but there isn't, do you see? That's a problem. And I need my car to go places. Uh, but if there was a train, I would take that train. See, I don't know where the cycle is. Like, I don't know how to stop. Like, I need to go, I need to drive to get where I'm going. But if there's a train, I would take the train and not just the Amtrak because like the Amtrak is stupid. Uh, just take better transportation. So Neil or anybody listening, if they have any suggestions on how, um, how I can break my cycle of just like, well, if I could, if I had a, be, if I had like better mass transit taking me down to the state, I would take that. But because there isn't, then I have to have my car. But at the same time, me taking my car helps, you know, keep Shell and big gas and oil in, 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 uh, in business. And I don't want to do that, but I don't have a choice. If somebody can help me break that, that would be greatly appreciated. Um, so I guess to answer your question, Neil, how do you justify your carbon footprint? We're all gonna die. I. Who am I? I. I sure. I'm. I. I don't. I, I'm probably not. You know, a uh, 
not not doing as you know the as much as I can, the best I can. But you see these other people that are doing stuff that are much worse, and nobody's causing them any grief. Talk talk to them. Talk to them. Um, a friend of the pod, Hay- Hayden Barton, uh, asked, "How well was your fantasy football this year?" And let me tell you, Hayden, not great. I was in three leagues this year. Hayden, I, I was in two of the leagues I was in. Um, my my, I don't know if this is my main one, but this is the one I've been in for like five or six years now that I won a few years ago. Um, the one that I take the most pride in. Um, fantasy leagues, no offense, not that I, I didn't enjoy and, and I didn't have fun being in Hayden's league uh, or with Jevin's league. Jevin also has a question, but fantasy football leagues it's not like parenting like you do have one that you really love i think that's true like you have one that you love more than the other one it's not saying that i hate the other leagues i just think there's one that you love more than the others um the so the one the main one that i'm in um where um my team uh sucked i mean my team was good and now i've lost what four straight five straight hold on um, one, two, three, four. I've lost four straight in uh, my main one. Uh, with uh, it's a two two QB, uh, zero PPR league, and uh, my team uh has been shit. Uh, partially because um, I don't know. I've been streaming defenses. My running backs have kind of un- have been underwhelming. Could, couldn't could have been better now uh that that one is uh my team name for that one is my qb is an anti-vaxxer uh because aaron Rodgers is on my team but i think josh allen's also an anti-vaxxer i feel like he's also an anti-vaxxer um the one the main one with hayden um is called the weekend warriors fantasy league which is a 12 team best ball ppr this is my first best ball league that i've ever been in and i think my, maybe my first ppr league as well um and that one, I was like worried that I was going to miss the playoffs, but fortunately Hayden made it so that it was an 18 playoff instead of a 14 playoff. So I got it. I'm in as a fifth seed. I think I'm in as the fifth seed and I have to play uh, Duncan. I don't know who Duncan is, uh, but I have, I have to play Duncan P. Um, went eight and five in that league. Uh, jo- I got Josh Allen. Ramondre Stevenson, Zach Moss, Metcalf, T. Higgins, Gronk. A couple of decent wide receivers in that league on that team. Uh, is there anybody? Mac Jones? See, Mac Jones, I drafted Mac Jones in like a couple of my leagues because I figured he would at least be, at minimum, A, a decent uh, backup on for bye weeks. I figured he would get to the point where uh, he would be starting on bye weeks, and two, he could at least develop into like a decent quarterback and, and be a, like, like the Mendoza line of like fantasy starting quarterbacks, not the guys like the fucking Daltons of the world. So that league uh, turns out well. I got to play Duncan uh, this week in playoffs, though. So uh, root for me, not Duncan. Um, I don't even know who Duncan is. I'm sure Duncan's a decent guy. Um, these are all friends of Hayden. I don't know any of them in that league. The third league I'm in, uh, show me your TDs uh, with Jevin. Uh, I have 
collapsed hard and missed the playoffs. I want to see where's my schedule. I can find my goddamn schedule. Playing like fucking shit in this league. Um, yeah, I basically like had like was like a fringe playoff team. I mean, I guess I kind of was six and seven. I've lost two straight. Yeah, nobody in this league, like Hayden in this league, Hayden, Hayden Barton, uh, he's won six straight games to move up the second seed. So, like, he's done well. Uh, Jevin did not have a great uh, season. Uh, but I also lost to Jevin, like, not this week, but like the week before. And if I beat Jevin, I'm pretty sure I would have made the playoffs. So that stunk. Jevin went five and eight. Uh, Hayden went nine and four. I went six and seven. And that team, I had Brady, Nick Chubb, Daryl Henderson, Tyreek Hill, Chris Godwin, Greg Kittle. Mike Williams, T. Higgins, Mac Jones. You see, like that team rocks. Like that team is like a, an ideal fantasy team, and and that's not even including uh, Waddle, Gronk. Um, I feel like I had somebody else I had to drop due to injury. That team, this team in in, in Jevons League, which is a, a ten team standard league, that team is better than six and seven. I'll tell you that much. I, I'm not afraid to tell you that that team is uh, is better than six and seven. Uh, so screw that. Uh, this year has been an underwhelming year in, in fantasy, but I think there's also the argument to make that uh, since I went to Japan in 2019, uh, I've been shit because I have I, I was like, if you knew me from like middle school and high school, you knew that I was like big into NFL and I really got into football, really started following and like you know understanding like even different defenses. Like I was not afraid to tell you like what a cover six defense was compared to a cover two, what routes you need to be, you know running on each defense like I wasn't afraid to do that blocking schemes and since I went to Japan to cover rugby my fantasy uh football success has just dwindled dramatically uh so hopefully I can uh redeem myself somewhat in the uh, weekend warriors fantasy league uh finally last question uh from Jevin from the left side heavy podcast shout out Jevin uh he actually did a really interesting exploration on Russell Wilson trade candidates um, that it, go check out his YouTube channel. Um, really interesting conversation with him and Hayden. So Jevin asked his Besser make team USA. And this is an interesting question because we talked about this. Um, I don't know, three weeks ago with Rav, Rav and I talked about this at SFU three or four weeks. I don't know. I have no frame of reference anymore with COVID, but I think Besser makes Team USA. Um, I don't know. It feels like since, I mean, last year even he had like 40 points in 50 games. Like he had a 20-goal season. But it feels like his confidence has like really dwindled since like the bubble. Because I remember in the bubble where like I thought Besser would have, sh- you know, taken more shots and he didn't. Um, I mean, again, he had 20 goals last year. So not to say that he's – always losing confidence but at the same time um hopefully a new coach in, in vancouver helps he's got the teammates to be really good teammates to be really successful i think he's good enough to be on team usa i think you'd be making a mistake if you don't put besser on team usa i think that's 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 a mistake i think part because part of it what's interesting with team with the olympics in a whole is a if the nhl players are even going to go because of covid I'm kind of leaning towards now, like they're not going to go to the Olympics just because of COVID, um, it being in China, 
uh, quarantine restrictions if you do get COVID. I, I, I wonder if the NHL players are actually going to go to the Olympics. Uh, but also, B, how you build your team for the Olympics. Like, do you just build an all-star team? Because the U.S. can just build an all-star team. I, I mean, and, and I'm the guy who also at the same time was saying how I think Brady Kachuk should be on Team USA. But you can either build, like, an all-star team, a, like, an NHL playoff team, if that makes sense, of how, um, you know, you have, like, your skill top six, but you also have, like, like how Tampa Bay had, like, a grind line um, and, like, Detroit back in the day, of course, but just, like, a line or two of just physical mean guys that the that are hard to play against. That's what I had with Team Canada when I said Sean Couturier, uh, Ryan O'Reilly, and Mark Stone should be on the line if they're all healthy together. Uh, and then I saw Couturier just walk watch kale mccarr go coast to coast and not do anything and then it's like okay you're not you're not ready to be on team canada you're just watch watching dudes you, you can't play for canada um but i think besser regardless of how the u.s decides they want to build a team i think besser should be on it i don't have an issue with that whatsoever um i i would be disappointed i'm sure he would too if the nhl players are actually going to go to the olympics and besser doesn't make the team uh that's all the mailbag questions I have for this episode. Uh, thank you very much uh, for sending them in. I hope you enjoy this as much as I have. We, again, we'll be doing a podcast for sure next week. We have one for sure next week. We'll probably do two next week. Um, we're going to be doing some more live streams. Uh, we're going to be doing some more content coming up here, which I, I, I will announce as we get it finalized. Uh, but basically, like the holidays, we're going to be doing a bunch of stuff, which I'm excited to announce. I'm excited to do. Should be great. Thank you very much for listening. Greatly appreciated, of course. Be sure to check us out on our YouTube channel. You can subscribe to that. Be sure to like this video. Uh, you can also check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast, you can find us there. And then we'll be back soon. We'll be back again maybe next week for sure. And maybe early next week. We'll be back. Can't wait. We'll see you then. Peace out.